Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, how is your week going? Here we are on a Wednesday for a change. A Wednesday. Busy, busy, busy. We're having this talk today, this discussion that Christmas is right around the corner and the year seems to get very short at the very end when you got a whole lot of work to do and not a whole lot of time to squeeze it into before year end. So yeah, you're trying to fit everything in. And I was going to start this episode, Al. Sometimes when we're preparing these, and we just we want a bio because we want to give our, our audience a kind of a heads up who's going to be on the show. And today was one of those bios where I just, I looked at it like, yeah, all of a sudden I feel like I'm not that accomplished in life. You know, when I when I talk to someone like this. So joining us today is Michael Stannis, who is a partner at Revenue Management Labs or RML. He is a devoted practitioner of data-driven business solutions and the use of advanced analytics to drive pricing improvements. See already, I mean, this is just on another level. Michael holds a BSc in mathematics, McMaster University MMA, Queen's University and MBA at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey guys, happy to be here. We had such a great conversation our first time, so I'm, I'm glad you were able to make it. Why don't we start at the very top though? What is, and a quick introduction so people know who you are, Revenue Management Labs, what it's all about. So Revenue Management Labs is a boutique, although we're getting bigger, but we still call ourselves a boutique consulting firm. And we really specialize in revenue and profit optimization. So everyone seems to think it's very complicated, but what that means is really maximizing and optimizing your price. It's controlling the discounts or optimizing promotions and programs, and then just executing in market to make sure that your top line is growing. So if you think about a PL, we deal with everything on the revenue growth side. We don't really deal much on, on the costing side, but we really try and help organizations develop strategies to grow their top line. And hopefully that top line is translating to a growth on the bottom line as well. So how does someone like yourself end up where you are in a business like you are? Because it's not like you're a kid, you're 10 years old thinking, oh, data analytics, I'm going I'm to get into that. That sounds great. Tell us a little bit about your career journey and kind of how you ended up where you are. Yeah. And it's funny because people ask me this all the time and I tell them that it's totally by mistake. Like it's just a fluke. My original degree is in math and I knew going into school that my parents really pushed me to kind of go into the sciences and they're both in chemistry, biology, medicine, things like that. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But I said, okay, well, math, that's kind of a science. It's interesting enough. And, and they kind of accepted it. So my first degree in math. And then in my last year, I was introduced to business and I had never like, you know, I knew business existed. I knew all these kind of things, but I didn't really know that it was, you know, something that people pursued as a career because the household I came from was very kind of academic, science-focused. So I actually got there. I was helping a not-for-profit. It was like a sports organization. And 
they said, oh, we need you to be on the board of directors. So I said, oh, okay, great. You know, I'm early 20s. I'm going to be on the board of directors. And we started getting into these business problems. I said, wow, this is pretty interesting. I like what's kind of happening here. So I decided, I told myself, at the time I was working as a statistician and I was like, ah, you know, it was good. I, I was having a good time. But I was like, I want to get a job in business. Whatever it is, just a job in business. I didn't know what that meant. So I just started applying for jobs in business. And I get a call from a lady and I don't even remember applying for the job, honestly. But I get a call and I applied to a small consulting firm in Toronto that dealt with this topic of pricing. The same week I got a job offer from them, I got a job offer from a big CPG out in Bolton. So if you're not familiar with the GTA, it's it's kind of like the suburbs. And I remember the same week I had an interview and it was it was probably January, February, around that time of year. And I got a job offer from both. Salaries were almost identical, you know, off by a couple hundred bucks. And I remember the decision I made. I said, well, I could take the train to downtown Toronto and work for this consulting company, or I could drive to Bolton. It was probably like a 45 to 60 minute drive. And it was February. And I drove there for the interview in a snowstorm. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to take this job downtown solely because I just wanted to sit on the train and I didn't want to have to drive. And, you know, I was driving a bit of a, a beater car back then, just coming out of school. And the other job wasn't to do with pricing in this field. But so that's how I ended up getting into the field. What's even more interesting is I went to that job. I started that job. One of the other people who worked there, I worked with him there and we went and worked in a different organization, but that, that's my business partner today. So we met over 10 years ago at the same company. But like I say, it's a total fluke because I could have taken the other job and done something completely different with my career but I just ended up kind of in the pricing and revenue optimization space. So I always knew I wanted to do something that was numbers related and how do we take math and apply it to business. And I happened to find the perfect match the first time through. So it ended up being a good fit. And I look back and several years later, I've gone through and worked in industry with Abby, my partner, and, and we started the firm seven years ago now. And it all comes back to not wanting to drive in the snow. So it's funny how the world works sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you look back and there's little points of, of fork in the road and you decide on one and it takes you a long way. Um, it's interesting when you were talking about your math background and remind me a little bit. So I started out in the engineering world with a math background. You can do a lot of different things. It sounds like you had a lot of options that you have in front of you that you were able to explore. But it's interesting though that you talked about meeting your partner a number of years ago and working with them. And, and now he is your business partner. So tell us a little bit about that. And tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced, especially when you were starting out in this new business. Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of the dynamic because I think, you know, in our earlier discussion, you guys mentioned that you have very different personalities, but it works really, really well. And it really resonates with me because I'm a numbers type guy who can build models, who can look at the analytical side. But I'm also a very, very, very social guy. I love talking. I love having conversations. I think sometimes our employees hate me because I, I kind of go and I try and spend too much time having coffee with them and they want to get their work done. Whereas Abby is kind of the complete opposite where he's not a numbers guy. He is like a strategy guy, but he is very much on the other side, get to the point guy. So we have very, very different personalities, but they work really, really well together because when you kind of put us together, it's almost kind of that full package. So we started in 2015. So we're going to be on our kind of, I call it our eighth season coming up in, in 2023. 
And it's been a heck of a ride. We started with just the two of us. We've scaled the business to 20-something people now. And I think the biggest challenge that we faced over time and in starting out is really finding the right people and getting the right people on board. We've spent a lot of time recruiting, trying to bring in people we knew, trying to set up the right infrastructure to be able to hire and retain the right talent. That was never our strength. When we came from industry, we had an HR department who did all of that and they handled it and they said, here are five really, really good candidates. But I think it's part of the struggle also was that being a small startup, you need people to wear a lot of different hats and you need people to be very, very flexible to say, all right, well, one day I might be doing something and the next day I'm doing something completely different. And to have that same kind of hustle mentality that they really want to move things forward. And at the very beginning, we would take any work that came to us. It's funny because we were pricing guys, but we would drop our price because we just wanted to get some work in the door, get the experience. We're much more picky now in the sense that you know the value of our work, we know what it can bring, but it's really bringing those people and having them support what we're doing. And why I say that is because when we started, we were like, let's just hire a bunch of people. We had the hire fast policy where we weren't really spending too much time looking at people. We were like, okay, you seem good. Why don't you come on and help us? That didn't work out very well for us. And what we've moved to is we moved to, uh, let's take the time, let's make sure that we find the right people, which is tough because a lot of the times we're going through the process and the person will be like, well, you know, three weeks is too slow. These other guys already made me an offer and I'm going over there. So it could be really frustrating at times, but we found that as we go through that and we find the right people, growing organically is much more beneficial for us because we know the quality of the work is going to be there. We know we can stand behind it as opposed to moving quickly and sacrificing that quality. And Mike, I noticed on your LinkedIn today, you had actually posted that you're hiring. That's right. So if someone is listening, like who is the ideal person that you're looking for? Because maybe they're listening to this podcast and after the podcast, we should, well, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Mike because I think I'd be a good fit. Yeah. So we hire kind of two different types of people in our associates, senior associates are working on, uh, on the projects, but the two kind of archetypes that typically come in are people who have a technical background, who are smart. You know, we have a couple engineers. We have two guys who did software engineering we have someone who has a financial math degree. And usually these people, they don't have any background in business, but they're really, really, really smart with numbers and analysis. So that's one archetype that we look for because we say, look, we can teach you how to run a business case. We can teach you how to apply some of this stuff to business. It's much harder teaching someone to be able to do those kind of technical skills, build those models. So that's the one type of person we look for. But we also try and balance out the teams. So we don't want to have a whole organization full of those people. So the other archetype that we look for is people who, and usually these people have more of a humanities business background, but they're storytellers. Maybe they don't understand how to write the code to make the most complicated mathematical model. But what they do understand is how to take that output how to craft it into a strategy and how to storytell and be able to show people what the value is and how you execute that value and how do you kind of move forward and really bring that to the broader organization. Because a lot of the times what happens is we see it all the time is you might have a great mathematical model that tells you here's the output, but 
if you can't communicate that to the people who need to understand it and who need to live it every day, it's just numbers on a page. And vice versa, if you're, if you're great at communicating, but your numbers don't make sense, that's a recipe for disaster as well. So those are the two types of people that, that we really look for. And then, hey, if there's someone who has both of those skills, that's kind of, you know, the holy grail or, or, or the unicorn <laughs> exactly. that we talk about. One of the tough parts is when we started, we were always looking for that unicorn. And now that we have a little bit more scale, we can say, look, we don't necessarily need someone who can uh, do everything. We can have people who are a little more specialized. Let's talk about that because you mentioned in two ways, you mentioned, you know, now that you're a little bit bigger, your strategy for bringing people on has changed somewhat. And you talked about in the beginning, taking on any business and anyone who started a business knows what that's like, right? You just, you take anything and everything in front of you, but maybe you can tell us like, how has your role changed over time from the time that you started to now you're building a team? How has that changed for you? It's really interesting because this is a, probably the thing that I struggle with the most is that when there were two of us, we did everything and we were doers and, you know, we would get some project work and, and we would do it. We would build the models, we would build the decks, we would build the strategies, we would do everything from sell to completion and, and everything in between. Now that we're much bigger, I can't be involved in every single project and doing every single piece of analysis. So it's become more of a role of guiding the team, making sure they're going down the right path, kind of reviewing the output, a lot more time spent on developing new business. But the toughest part for me is you need a lot of trust in that system. And a lot of the times we're working against tight deadlines. So you need to make sure you have the right people that you can trust that the work's going to get done and it's going to get done to a high level of caliber. But I think that's the biggest thing that I still struggle with because I'm the type of guy who is they'll bring me something and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, let's open up the code. Let's look at, let's get into it. Hey, what about this? What about that scenario? And if time was an unlimited factor, great, but there are only so many hours in the day and so many things to do. So in talking to other entrepreneurs and people who have gone through this, I think that is something that people struggle with a lot is giving up control and putting trust in the team and taking on a little bit of a different role. So I'm getting there slowly, but definitely better than I was several years ago. But it, it's a transition. It really is. I think Robin and I can both relate to that. You're right. As you grow, you've you've got to trust people. You've got to turn some things over and you can't have your hands in everything. Can I ask you really a two-part question? Talk about some of the rewarding aspects of building the company, but maybe also touch on why you decided to start the company up. How we started the company was really interesting. We had a client that we had worked with many, many years ago, and both Abby and I were working in industry. We were working for a beer company. And the client approached us and said, hey, you know, you guys, I know you guys have, you know, we, we always joked about, hey, we should start a consulting company because we would be good at it. And we were working in industry and we were working with big consulting firms. Like we were working with, I think they call it the, some of the big four or whatever they call it. But these are like, you know, everybody from, from business school wants to go to these big companies. And we had them in and we were on the client side and they were executing work for us. And they did great work. Like, don't get me wrong. The work and the analysis they did was great. But what would happen is we would get it like 150 page PowerPoint deck and they'd be like, great, here's your strategy. And then we would kind of look at each other and say like, okay, like great. But now you're telling me that I have this 150 page PowerPoint deck and you're telling me there's $50 million of opportunity. Go get it. So, you know, the, the senior leaders would look at us and say, okay, go get it, right? And then we would get to the details. 
And then we'd say, well, actually, we can't do this thing over here. And this, yeah, if we dig deeper, this doesn't work. So most of the stuff still worked. But by the time you got down to brass tacks and executing and timing and different things, one, it was a lot of work for us. So we were like, well, didn't we just pay all these consultants to do this? Why Why are we doing this? Uh, but that 50 million would go down to like 5, 10 million. So, you know, you got maybe 10 to 20% of, of what was originally promised. And then, you know, the senior leaders would look at us and say, well, where's the 50 million? Why did you only get 10? And well, we were happy because we then we'd have to explain, okay, well, we can't do this because of this and we can't do this because of that. So when this client kind of approached us, and we always joked around that said, hey, if we did this, we would do it differently. We would spend a lot more time getting into the details. And we call it kind of ditch digging, where there's a lot of work that's done under the ground. At the end, it might look really nice and your lawn might look nice, but you're kind of digging the ditches and the trenches to make sure that the water's flowing. So you got to make sure that all the stuff underneath is sound. And we said we would spend so much time on that and get down to details of what customer, what are you doing on what product, how are you changing price, how are you going to communicate to this? So we had the opportunity. We said, okay, we looked at each other and both of our wives were eight months pregnant at the time, which was a bit difficult. And we said, well, worst case scenario, we fail and then we could just go get regular jobs again. So we knew it was almost a once in a lifetime opportunity that we had someone who said, hey, come do some work with us. It was supposed to be, I think, a six month kind of engagement to start. I think we, we spent about a year and a half there and it just catapulted from there. So it's interesting because why we started is we thought we could do it better. We just had the opportunity. I, if we didn't have that client there, I'm not sure if we would have done it because, uh, it, you know, especially with, with wives who are eight months pregnant, they were very skeptical about our, our, our decisions, but they went along with it. And I think that the best part about it, you know, looking back on it almost seven, eight years later, there are two things that come to my mind. And I think the first thing is it's going to be hard to ever give that up is, is the freedom to kind of control your own destiny. We sit as a group now, and even we bring our senior leaders, our engagement managers into discussions, and we can control which way we go, what we spend time on, how we go to market, all those different things. And, and having that in our control and knowing that we kind of are the holders of our own destiny, that is something that I'm not sure I would ever want to give up. But, you know, eventually, just like with the work, eventually I know we'll have to give some of that up. But I think the other thing that's really rewarding is walking down the office and just seeing the people. We have several people who have been with us for five years and just looking at those people and where they were when they walked in the door and who they are now, just from a personal standpoint and from a business standpoint, we've had marriages and babies and people getting citizenships. It's one of those things where I think the most rewarding, and it might sound really cheesy, but it's just looking around and, and knowing the people and the relationships that have been made, knowing that those are lifelong friendships. So much of that, Mike, both of your points there resonate with me because I, I've kept journals for years in business. And, and I don't mean by writing in a diary. I just write down things and goals and what's happening and what we want to achieve. And I remember going into a partner's meeting a couple of years ago. And looking back at some of these books when we first started and writing things down, and it's amazing to see, you know, you've hired people and you've had an impact on their lives and you've put benefits in place and a group retirement plan. It's nice to reflect on that, but it's nice to go back and look at some of the, the goals that you had. You didn't know how you were going to get there, but all of a sudden you're there, right? 
And then the other thing that you had talked about was, and I think it would be incredibly difficult to give up as well, is that freedom to control your destiny. That's such an important part of being an entrepreneur. But on that, we just all live through, let's call it a very interesting time in history. But me, for one, I'm one of those people, I'm very optimistic, and and I always see a challenge, and I allow myself a very short period of time to get frustrated by that challenge, but then I say, okay, now what's the way out of it, or around it, or over it, or through it, what have you? Maybe talk to us a little bit about what are you most excited about for the future? It's interesting, because coming out of COVID, we were really excited going into 2020. We had big plans. We had a really fast start to the year, and then... Nobody would talk to us for six to eight months. Like no one would pick up the phone, business continuity. We still had some work that we were going through and and we didn't totally shut down because we had active engagements, but it was just a weird time. And feeling that we're kind of bouncing back now, inflation and people talking about a recession, there's so much doom and gloom with coming out of COVID and recession talk that I, I feel like a bit weird being the optimist. But I think that what the future holds for us is a lot of continued growth. We have really aggressive plans to continue to to grow the business. For the first time, we have people who've been with us four or five years that they're really starting to contribute much more. We can increase our capacity much more. For the first time in the last two years, we had to say no to business because we didn't have the time. And that's a really weird feeling compared to day one where we were just scrounging for scraps and anything we could get. So I think for us is we see that there's still a ton of opportunity, even when people talk about a recession coming. I know a lot of companies cut headcount and they're trying to figure out how they're going to stay ahead of the recession. A lot of the stuff we help companies with, being more efficient with your promotional spending, optimizing your price position, those are things that can drive a lot of money to the bottom line. And companies can still focus on those things, even in a recessionary environment. So we feel pretty bullish that even if we get there, there's still going to be a really big need for our service and what we do. And frankly, we know we're really good at it. We help multinationals and small companies, and we have a lot of clients that keep coming back because we do a really good job. So we're really, really positive about what 23 and beyond can deliver. I love hearing that. Well, we've reached the part of the episode or the the portion of our episode where, where Al has a bit of a signature question. It's my favorite part of the episode. And Mike, if you're up for it, up to you. About no, absolutely. It. Okay. Well, Al, take it away. I will fire away. I'm going to piggyback on some of Robin's comments first, though, because earlier you had said when you're starting the business, what's the worst that could happen? And I really like that comment because, well, number one, I quite often say that as well. I think you have to have that mindset a little bit when you're an entrepreneur, right? And you have to be able to take some of those risks. And like you said, if something doesn't work out, I can just go out and get a job. I'm confident in myself and and my own abilities. So, you know, why not take the chance? So I I just, I wanted to bring that up because I thought it definitely resonated with me. So, okay, so let's move on. And here's my question for you. So there's a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting. When I kind of hear that, the thing that I think about is people and really people and relationships. Because when I think about the staff that we have and the people who have come up with us and really like we have certain people who they've been here two weeks and I I look at them and I say, you know, I barely know this person, but I'm really excited to see 
what they're going to look like in three years and in five years. And I think it's just giving people the opportunity to grow from a business standpoint and to grow from a people standpoint. And we know that, you know, we're not naive. We know that every single person who works with us, they're not going to be here with us forever. It's the fact of life. And we know that there are people who we will help develop them and they'll leave in three years, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. And they'll go on to do great, great things. And we'll see those things from afar, but they may have opportunities to do things far bigger than what we're doing here. They may go on and have kids. One of the interesting things I see is some of our employees starting to have kids and just looking at the situation that they're in and being able to provide a home for them and being able to provide them a different way of life than if they were in different circumstances. And it just makes me think that we're just a small piece of the world and the world's going to keep going even after I'm gone, even after Abby's gone. And I think what we hope for at least is that RML can at least somewhat continue and the people who have come from here, they can continue whether it's here or in other places and they can be the future leaders of tomorrow, whether it be leading this organization or or other organizations because I think that's the strength of what we practice and what we teach. And even though we we spend a lot of time training and, and focusing on people, we may not reap the benefits in the long term, but that's okay because the world will probably be a better place. And hopefully there are companies out there who get a lot of value out of the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And there's no doubt you didn't start your business thinking, hey, I'm going to provide livelihoods for other people. That's that's not why you did it. But like you say, it's a, it's a great byproduct. And at the end, it's probably one of the more important mm-hmm. uh, than some of the things that you set out in the beginning to do. Yeah, it's interesting because it took a couple of years for us to realize it. But a big turning point for us is when we realized we're just in the people business. Because what is consulting? We're not building factories or I don't need to you know, set up a production line or anything. We have an office, we have computers, we have intellectual property, but it's people. And our people are the most valuable asset that we have. And they are our product, really, at the end of the day. So making sure that, one, the people are taken care of, but two, they develop in the right way. So it's definitely changed the way we think about, one, how we operate our business, and two, how we go to market with that business as well. That's what this podcast is all about, Al. People, meeting right. people, putting everything away for whatever, you know, 20, 25 minutes and having a one-on-one, or in this case, <laughs> two two-on-one on conversation. So I love your messaging. Al, anything to add before I wrap it up here? No, no, take it away. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and all your key messages. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at RML? Yeah, so they can check out our website, revenueml.com. So they can reach out through there or I'm always on LinkedIn. That's a great place to find me. Those are probably the two best ways if you're interested or if you just want to chat. If anything that I said today kind of struck a chord, I'm always happy to connect and meet more people. All right, that's awesome. Okay, that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends.